That's where we're going to get started tonight. Philippians 1 and verse 21. Excited to be with you here again. Man, this is such an awesome group, and every single time we gather together, just feel like, uh, just not feel like, I, feel, I know that God shows up in this place, amen? And so that's what, that's what we're experiencing. That's what we expect every time we gather together is that the Spirit of God would go, would go with us. Um, alongside with kind of some of the other announcement stuff, we've we finally gotten around to retooling a lot of our website stuff that kind of just went dormant and got really outdated really quickly. Uh, so if you haven't visited westsideexchange.org, especially tomorrow afternoon after I do some more work on it in the morning, uh, there's going to be a lot more function to it, uh, especially for those of you who are just wanting to get to know the ministry just a little bit more. You can go ahead and go online, westsideexchange.org, check it out. Uh, if you're looking to sign up for the fall retreat and you haven't been able to do that because you haven't been able to find the webpage, now if you just go to the homepage, westsideexchange.org, uh, there's a there's a fall retreat sign up that you just click on the na- the words fall retreat in the top right hand corner and it'll take you it'll take you right there and what goes along with that is actually we've got some photographers running around tonight all right um, they're checking out all your boogers and all that stuff uh, no it's um uh, Bubba Sellers and Christy Renee they are two of the most talented artists in photography that I've ever seen like some of us feel like we're artists because we do filters on our photos you know. Um, that was, were pretty cool. Uh, everything in black and white for me, please. And, and uh, the two of them, seriously, I met Bubba working actually at Dutch Bros a few years back in Klamath Falls. And uh, we got to know each other. And he is such an incredibly talented dude that has done everything from concerts to major landscaping stuff. And then I met Chrissy this last summer doing a wedding, one of my buddy's weddings down in Southern, Southern Oregon. And uh, seriously, both of them, some of the most incredibly talented people. So all that to say, this is a commercial for whenever you get married, whenever you need photos, whenever you need whatever, you need to get in contact with one of these two, uh, and they're going to make it worth it. Uh, By the way, wedding tip, spend a ton of money on photography and almost zero money on anything else, okay? I'm just here to pastor you. Uh, (laughs) I think we did the opposite, and, and so I don't like looking at my wedding photos. Anyway... Plus, I was like 55 pounds heavier, but we're not going to go there. We're not, we're not going to go to that dark, sad place of my wedding day. Who says? Anyway. Philippians, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. Here we go. It says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. This is Paul talking to a church that he's planted in a place called Philippi. So he's talking to the Philippians in this book. He says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Uh, first of all, I love this statement that Paul makes. He says, to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I love, I love this because it shows the heart that Paul has, that he's not intimidated by the world, and he's actually experiencing uh, for real persecution. We talk about persecution, especially in the American Christian church, like, like mean liberal people uh, hate me on Facebook, and, uh, and I'm being persecuted, and they don't like my freedom of speech. And Paul is actually being persecuted. Uh, Paul's been thrown into prison multiple, multiple times. Uh, People are on his case. He's been beaten. He's been battered. He's been all these things. And Paul says something that's so dynamic and powerful. He says, to live, 
To live is Christ. To live is dynamic. It's incredible to see more people come to know Jesus through me preaching the gospel and planting churches. But to die is to be with Jesus. So Paul is essentially looking at his congregation and he's saying, whatever they do to me, if they let me live or they let me die, Jesus will reign in that moment. And if there is something that we can grab from this, just right off the bat, in our heart, if we can look at each other and we can say, man, no matter what the world might say, no matter what my boss might say, no matter what the crowd might say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So essentially, they cannot touch me. Because if I die for Jesus, then I die for Jesus. And if I live for Jesus, then I live for Jesus. That is something about a Christian heart. It is unstoppable if it is willing to say, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Here's the the secret to the sauce of Christianity. Are you ready for this? No matter what happens, we win. Yeah. You know, one of these days we're going to show up on a Tuesday night and y'all are going to get excited. And I'm going to preach. And you're going to be like, come on. And then I'm going to preach harder. And you're going to be like, come on. And then we're going to go get ice cream or something to celebrate. Yeah, ice cream, huh? (laughs) Frosties, something. Wendy's, why are we advertising that? Um, It is not great. Speaking of that weight I gained in college, uh, crispy chicken sandwiches were 99 cents when I was in college, and we called them crispy chicks, and I'd order them by the quad. Verse 26, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that when, whether I come and see you or remain sent, I will hear of you. That you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. And that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Again, the the main scripture that I want you to get here is in verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you for tonight. Lord, we thank you again that your presence is here. And Lord, we are excited. Lord, I pray that we would not go down as a generation that didn't get excited about Jesus. Lord, so we're passionate about you. And and Lord, that can come out in church meetings like this. But I pray that it wouldn't just come out in that way. I pray that it would come out in our relationships. I pray that our excitement about all that you have done for us would come out in our marriages, Jesus. It would come out uh, It would come out in the workplace. It would come out in the mission that we want to accomplish for you, Jesus. I pray that it would come out in our success. I pray that it would come out in our failure, our excitement, and our love. For you would overflow, Jesus. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Uh, how many of you guys got bumper stickers? Some of you guys got bumper stickers? Yeah, bumper stickers aren't as cool as they once was. Uh, I remember when I was growing up, it was cool to have a Toyota Corolla wagon or, a, uh, of course, a Subaru wagon with bumper stickers all over the back of it. Uh, and I actually met the guy the other day, who came up with, uh, allegedly, uh, who came up with the Ben Sucks Don't Move Here bumper sticker. I met him in the barbershop, 
And apparently there had been a story that I didn't know, and they kept alluding to it and laughing at this guy because this guy had made the first Ben Sucks Don't Move Here bumper sticker. He had made like 50 of them and given most of them just out to his close friends. Uh, and then he said the next thing he knew, they were selling them. Uh, he did not trademark that, that bumper sticker, and they were selling them all over town. And, and sure enough, the ones that I see on all the cars, the font on the word bend, or, or on the word sucks, we're recording tonight, on the word sucks, emphasis on the word sucks, is the font is just a little bit different. And the guy was heartbroken. And so he, oh, man, they were laughing at him. And it was brutal because that's what you do in barbershops is you laugh at people's pain. And, uh, but, but I, I love bumper stickers. Bumper stickers are so interesting to me because they are, they're just a really short little quick statement that's supposed to make you laugh or it's supposed to be profound. Uh, and Christians are, are some of my favorite bumper sticker creators. Um, I, I've told you guys, I think, once about my dad's bumper sticker that he created that we uh, gave out to the church in Glendale, Oregon, when I was growing up. And it said, it said, tithe, if you love Jesus, anybody can honk. I know, I know this exactly. <laughs> I asked my dad about that bumper sticker a little while ago. I was like, what were you thinking? That is not funny. And, uh, and we would pull up at gas stations and gas station attendants would go, what's a tith? Because <laughs> tithe is spelled T-I-T-H-E. <laughs> That's the tithe for me. And um, so it didn't make any sense, and nobody would honk, and it was ridiculous. Uh, but some of the other great, the other great and, and popular bumper stickers out there, of course, the Coexist bumper sticker is, is everywhere, and um, that's a pretty creative one. One of the really high ones on the Christian poll is the, uh, is the my boss is a Jewish carpenter. Mm. Yeah, there's nothing like driving down the road and seeing that bumper sticker and just going, praise you, Jesus. You're our boss and you're... You're a carpenter, and uh, not like my boss is the son of God, you know, right? Like his other occupation, carpentry. And um, but I love, I love this, I love this one, and this is what I'm really trying to get at: is this bumper sticker that says, "I'm gonna work like it all depends on God," and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work like it all depends on me, and I'm gonna pray like it all depends on God. I'm gonna pray like it all depends on God, and I'm gonna work. Like it all depends on me. And now I think it's funny, this, and this happens in other areas of our little theology. We get kind of what I call bumper sticker theology. We get this quick idea theology. And something like that sounds good. I'm going to pray like it all depends on God. I'm going to work like it all depends on me because of America. And I got to tell you, that is nowhere in the Bible. And I would say even more than this, that there is no, there is no scriptural foundation for anything like that. But uh, even though it's just a bumper sticker, and maybe you've seen the bumper sticker, or maybe you haven't, I think somewhere along the way, all of us have adopted to some degree this kind of theology. I'm going to pray like it all depends on God, and I'm going to work like it all depends on me. Now, when we talk about work, <laughs> I've been thinking about this for the last couple of weeks and getting ready for this sermon series, and I've just been thinking... I've been thinking thoughts like just basic ideas about work, and I don't, um, I don't like, I don't, I don't like work. It's not my favorite thing. I'm not good at a lot of stuff, and anything that makes me sweat, I'm just like whether it's the gym or whatever. The, the other day, I got so grumpy because I was trying to get my, I was trying to get my daughter into her car seat, 
And, uh, and sometimes the clips just won't, they just, everything gets tangled and, 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 and I'm trying to get her in there. And sometimes the seat happens to be on something about right here to where you, you are, you're sitting in this position and your hamstrings just start to get tight and I'm sweating. I'm putting my daughter in my inner car seat and I'm sweating. And the same thing happened to me when my wife was giving birth to my son. I sat like this for about a half hour and I said, man. My legs hurt. I take a break. You know, I'm holding her leg. And, uh, and, and she didn't think that was very funny. Um, but my hamstrings were tight. <laughs> and I'm doing this and I'm, going, and I'm thinking about stupid stuff like this. I'm like, I just don't like to work. I grew up with people that are like, I love being out in the fields. And I love, you know, working with the cattle. And I love doing all this stuff. And, and bucking hay. Bucking hay is bucking stupid. And... <laughs> I'm not a big fan. And I'm thinking about work and work and work and work and work, but there's something inside of each and every single one of us that says, man, there's just, I got to accomplish this certain amount of work for the Lord. I got to get this work done for the Lord. And I'm saying I'm not, I'm not against work when it comes to theology, that God has called us to do something. He has installed something in your heart that was intended to be worked out. That there is a work, that there is a mission that we can accomplish, especially together as a church. That the church is called to go out and, and to work at things like, like loving the lonely and the homeless. The, the church has is, is, is got to work at going out and bringing love into the deepest, darkest places of our world. But i got to tell you something, that work does not make this entire thing go round. And the will to work does not draw us any nearer to God or make us any more holy or righteous. Now, here's what Jesus says about work. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John, um, to John in chapter 10. In verse 33, if you don't have a Bible, I'm just going to go ahead and, ooh, magic. And uh, we're going to go through verse 38. It says, the Jews answered him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God, because Jesus had been saying, I am the Son of God. And Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I'm the Son of God? If I do not do the work of my Father, then do not believe me. i got to tell you something tonight. If you are not doing the work, when you do not do the work of the Father, God, in your life, it is difficult for the world to believe in the one whom you say you serve. It is difficult. It is difficult when you live in a, in a hateful way for the world to believe in the God that you serve. I'm telling you guys, I gotta, I, I gotta get off of social media because I am finding so much hatred and racism on Twitter in people's tweets. And then I'm looking at their bios and it says Philippians 4.13, for I can do all things. I'm like, bro, if you're going to talk like this, don't tell people you know Jesus. Please. If you hate people, do not tell people that you know Jesus. If you're going to walk around with a frown on your face and a negative disposition all the time, please do not tell people that you know Jesus. You know, some of us can be Eeyores. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been in a mood like that? I was in a mood like that the other day. It's just going to rain. 
Actually, I'm super stoked about the rain. It's just going to be sunny again. <laughs> For the love, let summer be over. Sometimes I'm around people like this, and sometimes I'm around myself like this. I'm like, hey, just shut up. And if you're going to be grumpy, don't tell people about Jesus. Just hold that down for when you're in a better mood. But it's important. It's important if we're going to proclaim to know Jesus. Now, now I understand that we are all at, at some point or another going to be hypocrites in the church. And if you're saying, look, I don't go to church because there are hypocritical people in there. Again, it's like the old preacher always said, that's like going to the hospital and complaining that there's sick people there. Look, we're here because we're dying. We hear, we're here because we've been broken. We're here because we need Jesus. But ultimately, the work of God must be evident in our life. That the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, church, must be evident in our life. It must be evident in our worship. It must be evident in our workplace. It must be evident online. It must be evident in our relationships. Because if God is who he says he is, and we worship him as he says he is, then the something should be different about our lives. That there is a work, that there is a submission to the Lord that must happen. Just like Jesus said. I love how he, how he puts it. If you do not do the works of my Father, then go ahead and don't believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am indeed in the Father. There is a certain amount there is a certain amount of work to be done. And I hope you don't take this lightly, church. I hope you don't just kind of brush it off, you know, because there's very often in the church there's two different ways of thinking, and there's a tension in here. And one of them is that, uh, that we write a loan to God when we make a mistake and that we say, okay, uh, or God writes us a loan. And we say, okay, God, that's fine. I'll take the loan. Thank you. I'm going to pay this back as soon as I can. You know, some of you are like my wife that way. My wife, whenever we get, we, she slides like five bucks on the credit card and not through the debit card. She's like, that's how I got to go home and I got to pay that thing off. There's $5 on the credit card. I'm like, oh, it'll be fine. Look at this TV. What's another 1500 bucks on the credit card, you know? That's how I feel about it. And that can be the other end of grace. It's not healthy to be like, God, I want to repay this back because God tells us. He says, your sin is far as east is from the west. What are you worried about this sin anymore? When you came to me, you gave your life to me, or you repented of your sin, all of a sudden it has been forgotten. It's not going to be brought up and hung over your head any longer to say this is who you are. Instead, God has divided. He has split it away. He has destroyed it so that it is no longer a part of your life and it is not part of the way that God thinks about you. Instead, that when he sees you, he's not paying attention to your sin, but he sees his son that has covered up and destroyed all of your sin. But that sometimes we can come to the other side of grace where we just want to say, all right, well, if grace is this way, then this is why the people looked at, at Peter and they said, well, look, I mean, if, if grace is so good and it happens when we sin, then why don't we just sin all the more so that grace would abound? And I love that Paul just looks back at me and says, because that's stupid. And we're never intended to just go sliding it around like a credit card that we never ever have to pay back. Instead, instead, there's a different response that God has intended when we have come into a relationship with Him. And the order is important. Now I'm going to go back to, to Philippians. If you would go there with me as well. And I love this. This is some of Paul's breast... <laughs> breast. <laughs> Mm. 
You know, I didn't say that the whole uh, the whole sex series we did in the winter, you know. But here we go. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. This is some of Paul, uh, Paul's most incredible preaching. It's fantastic. It says in chapter 2, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind and maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. I love how Paul talks about the church. He looks at all of us real simply and he says, can we do this not in selfishness? Because even back then there were, there were preachers rising up and saying, man, I can make money off of talking about this Jesus guy or creating my own theology. And, and Paul comes to the church and he says, look, you guys, this has to be about the collective. This has to be about the church. This has to be about something bigger than you. You should care. You should care about the greater goings on of the gospel. You should care about the ends of the earth. You should care about God, what God wants to do on the grand scale. And it starts with the church ultimately being unselfish in these moments. Now, Ryan, if you want to go ahead and come back up, if you're around, man, and you want to just play behind me like you just do so well. And we're going to sing. We're going to sing that song, One Thing, as we close here. But I'm going to go ahead and read a little bit more of this scripture. Are you with me? In verse 6, it says, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him. He bestowed on him the name which is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he lines out this incredible thing and he, 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 he responds again. He speaks again of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, which teaches me a few things. But number one is that we are to regularly talk about the greatness of the cross. I got to tell you tonight, and if you haven't figured it out already, if you've been hanging out here a while, if you're going to be involved in exchange, and you're going to love being here. You got to fall in love with the gospel. Because I'm going to preach it again and again and again and again and again. And there's no greater story that we could possibly come to. There is no greater revelation that we could experience. I don't know about you, but the celebration of my life being bought and paid for, of my sin being washed away, is not a story that I'm going to get tired of. I want to talk about it some more. I want to talk about it some more. Some of the greatest victories in my life. You can't shut me up about it. I will tell you all day about how bad the Seahawks beat the Broncos in Super Bowl 48. I'll talk. I know every detail. I'll talk all day about it. Let's keep talking about it. 
I'll talk to you all day about how much I love my son and how much I love my wife. And, and I'll talk to you all day about how much I enjoy baseball and how much I, I love doing other different activities. I can talk about it over and over and over and over again, and I'm not going to get tired. And the gospel is no exception for me. The greatness of Jesus cannot be exhausting to us, church. It has to be empowering. It has to be something that is constantly on our lips. And then Paul goes into this. Now this is, check this out. This is how we put our life in order. This is how we respond to the great grace of Jesus. In verse 12, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I've heard preachers and this is a quick study tip for you. Don't read one part of the Bible, okay? Read the Bible. You understand? Because the Scripture interprets Scripture, and context is important, you know, unlike social media. Uh, context is important. And I've heard preachers see, check this out. you got to work it out. you got to do, I don't know what that means. you got to do more spiritual sit-ups. Get those Jesus abs going you ever wonder if Jesus had a six-pack? Never mind. Not important. <laughs> I don't know. He drank plenty of wine, I think, and that doesn't do... Anyway, moving on. But he walked a lot. Okay. <laughs> Jesus was a cardio master. And so many questions I have about what Jesus was like. Oh. But it's work out this salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. You got to work out this salvation. You got to work it out. And then some of the preachers look at you and then go, okay, now we're going to pray that you work it out. And that's the end of the sermon. But check this out. This is why you keep reading. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And in verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. <laughs> I love that because all of a sudden it puts things in perspective. It puts things into the right order. It's not I'm going to work hard so that people will understand that I love Jesus and, and all that is good and working hard is great and I believe in a good work ethic and I believe in living a life that is worthy of the calling of the gospel but ultimately this has to start from one place and it's the fact that God is at work in you. The working out the salvation is not possible without God being at work in you first. You working out and living a life worthy of the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot happen unless the cross happened first so that there was a cause of Jesus Christ to offer grace and mercy into your broken and your hurting life. So you want to live a life that is working out into the calling of Jesus Christ, you got to jump headlong into his extravagant and scandalous grace. you got to be immersed in it. Because God makes that first, that first move. You know, you remember, some of you remember, I hope you've had this experience. If not, maybe you're feeling lonely tonight and I'm going to pray for you. But, uh, but you know those, those, those interactions that you have with a member of the opposite sex and, and you sit down at a college in a, in a, in a, in a, in a desk 
and a cute girl sits next to you, and you're first of all, if you're a guy, she sits next to you, you don't even know this girl, and the desk is four feet away, you're like, oh, sat next to me. <laughs> well, that can't be by accident now, can it? <laughs> Oh, come on. I'm not the only one. We overthink these things. Oh, sat next to me at the table. Well, I mean, we're praying and we're holding hands, so that might as well just be step one in this relationship. And, um, and there's this, and, and especially when what happens in, in, a, in a mutually attract, in a mutual attraction, uh, there's both people who, especially Christians, because we really suck at this, um, there's two people that are always like, you know, waiting for somebody to make the first move <laughs> and say something affectionate. And, you know, I, I've seen, I've heard guys three times start the engine of the plane and just fail to get it off the ground. So, you know, I really um, like buffalo wings. Ah. <laughs> and it's just... Especially now that I'm past that, and I like to laugh at single people sometimes. It just cracks me up. But I remember, I remember, especially with Rebecca and I, the relief that happens when all of a sudden that, that especially when that other person makes that move just to say, to say something like, you know, I really like you. Or, you know, I think, I think we should be in a relationship. Or I think, what, and, and when the other person says it first, it's like, I was thinking the same thing. I'm here for this. I'm I mean, I'm not. I am really excited. I hope this makes you not hate me. <laughs> At least that was me. I was always really overly excited about people returning affection. And uh, But there's this moment, that, and what I'm really trying to get back to, I think, is, is this idea, this idea that so often we're waiting around in this life for something to bring this purpose or something to fill this gap, and God has made that first move, you guys. He has made that first move, and it is an abundance of love that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He rose again from your salvation. His blood was spilled, and it was poured out, and his grace was bestowed on all of us. And all of us from coming from so many different ways of life, from so many different sins, and so many different kinds of darkness are now covered under this extravagant and scandalous love that we could not possibly imagine. And now, because that was the first move, we respond. I don't want to be a good dad because I want to be a good dad to impress my God or to impress the world around me. But because the love that the Father has given to me, now I feel, I feel like I must live a life as a father that is worthy of the calling. I don't love people because, you know, I just think love is just so great and it's wonderful. Honestly, my, my natural tendency is to very much dislike people. But because I have a God who loved me when I did not deserve it, I feel like people should be loved even when they do not deserve it. I don't want to live, I don't want to live my relationships in holiness just because I want to live this certain Christian ideal of life, but because the grace of God is sufficient for me. And because I now, as a response to my great God, I choose to live out a life that is worthy of the calling. So you want to live well, you want to live out a life, you should care. You should care about the grace of Jesus. And you should not get tired of the message. And you should jump in it again and again and again and again. Now, it sounds like some magic potion. I promise I'm, I'm closing. And Ryan's fingers are probably going to start hurting here in a second, but that's okay. But you guys, this was, this was me. 
I'm not saying this because, you know, this, is, this makes for great preaching, and it does make for great preaching. You guys, I came out of high school, and I went to college, and I started working as a, as a pastor at a little small church. Uh, not a little, little church, but a smaller church in a really small ministry. And I was arrogant and a terrible person because I believed that my way of Christianity was the only way, and that because, because I hadn't had sex before marriage, that people around me were lesser than compared to me, and that they had screwed it up. And that I was living the right way and that they were living the wrong way. And I treated people this way. I treated people that didn't raise their hand in worship as if they were ignorant or disgusting. I'm telling you, I had a horrible heart about all this stuff. And then again, I'll never forget, I was listening to one of my favorite preachers. His name is Judah Smith. He's in Seattle, Washington. I was listening to his podcast while I was working at the Herald News newspaper and the sports desk, waiting for people to call in their box scores from Gilchrist, of all places. And, and I was listening to these sermons, and Judah was talking about grace and grace and grace and grace, and it was pouring out over me, and I listened to five consecutive messages, and I was weeping at my chair going, I don't know this love. And everything changed. It changed how I thought about the person that was homeless on the street that I thought that just was begging for money and all of a sudden I didn't care about where they came from, but I wanted to pour into their life for some reason. And all of a sudden the people that I thought had lived in infidelity and covered themselves in sin, all of a sudden I wasn't so concerned about the sin because I learned that God isn't so concerned about the sin because His grace can cover it all. That's not to say we're to continue to live that way, but it is to say that we can respond to the great grace of Jesus and experience a life and a love and a calling that we never ever thought possible. When we live in grace, grace will be our message. The cross will be on our lips. And you know what the word teaches us? It says that the gospel of Jesus in those moments when his presence come, has the tendency to be irresistible. We are called to be a grace people and live in response to that. Amen? So let's go ahead and stand up and we're going to sing this chorus together and, and at the end of that we're going to pray one more time. But just give this all you got. I'm going to sing it out.